0: You in Jesus' name this morning, it's good to see all our visitors here with us and look forward to having you worship with us here this morning. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Isn't that the truth? To the Lord's grace, we are debtors continually all the time. This morning, I've the subject of the message is to raise a child. Now you may have come today, especially if you're a visitor, thinking that uh, that uh, this you've come for the hymn sing. It may not be uh, here to have come thinking that you'd be hearing a, a message on raising a child. But uh, since, since I uh, am called to minister what the Lord lays on my heart, that's uh, what I'll be ministering this morning, both to myself and. And to you. This is a big subject. There's no way I could comprehensively cover it in the time I have this morning. But it's a subject that we need to stay focused on. First of all, there's a lot of adulterated assault coming in on the church and on, um, on against... A Bible way of, of raising children. Biblical way of raising children. And it's easy for us to lose our sight too. It's easy for us to start veering away from Bible principle. Also, we need to be encouraged. I know there's a lot of you here this morning that are older, don't have young children. But I would say uh, this morning as you, as you listen to the Word, be thinking about, be praying for maybe a young family in your life. A child, a grandchild. Um, I think it does us a lot of good to, to uh, it does us, me as a parent of young children, a lot of good to have the insight, the encouragement of, of parents of older people. We need that. Um, lesson text is out of Ephesians, or the, the sermon text is out of Ephesians 6. And the first four verses, I'll I'll read those if you want to open your Bibles to there. Ephesians 6. Verse 1 is, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That'll be the... The message text. Now there'll be, I'd like to look at this in 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 a perhaps a different way. I'd like to, to view, to go back a little further, thinking of, of a few questions here from a Bible view. What does Jesus think about children? I think that's really important for us to establish that in our minds. What does Jesus, how did Jesus view children? It's also good for us to understand what Herod Herod being the devil. What does he, how does he view children? And then moving on, what are our responsibilities as parents? These are all questions I'd like to, 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 um, to look at. And then how do we as parents fulfill our responsibilities in a practical sense? First of all, looking at how, what does, what's Jesus' view of children? There's no better place to look than in Scripture. And uh, Mark, I'd like to look at Mark, a passage out of Mark, Mark 9, verse 36 through 42. Then he took, and this is speaking of Jesus, a little child, and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. Now John answered him saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons. And he goes on talking about this person that was casting out demons. And Jesus said, he, he uh, answers that. But then he moves on down and Jesus comes back in verse 41 and he says, For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ assuredly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And then verse 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble... It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. This to me s- states strongly, very strongly, because John you know, had interrupted Jesus here and said, there's another uh, person here that's teaching your name. And, and Jesus, he, he answers to that, but then he comes back again to the children and he states very strongly, you know, these children are... Terribly important to me. They're very, very important to me. And if, you know, someone that causes one of these to stumble, it's better for him to be drowned in the sea. And not only that, but whoever gives a cup of water to one of these little ones in my name, you know, he'll by no means lose his reward. Um, Does that tell us something about Jesus' view of children? It does me. Mark 10, verse 13. Then they brought those little children to him that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. When Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them and blessed them. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And then, he relates a Hebrew proverb to the Canaanite woman who came and was pleading help for her possessed daughter, demon-possessed daughter. He relates this Hebrew proverb. He answered and said to her, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. That's a bit out of context because he, Jesus was talking about taking the Israel's, Israel's bread and throwing it to the Canaanite or to the, to the Gentiles. It was before the full dispensation. But I believe it shows Jesus' heart. It's not me to take something that is for the children and throw it to dogs. I remember in, in Romania this first came to my mind we were uh, there with with the orphanage and one morning this couple came walking up to the orphanage and we had to accept babies if they were brought in and and, and um uh, and were left or abandoned at the orphanage there and i personally accepted 3 of those and that that's those are experiences that stick in your mind they don't they don't leave you and there was this couple came up and what was remarkable about them is they were they had this little baby a beautiful little baby girl blue eyes bright blue eyes almost bright i mean they were just and uh they come up to the front door, and they have this huge uh, Great Pyrenees with them. Look very well fed, look well taken care of. And they're like, uh, uh, we, we understand that you take babies here. And I said, well, not really. Um, they said, well, well, they said that you, you take them. We don't, we don't want our baby, and we want you to take it. And I went on to explain to them that once, you know, that they can't just drop their baby as like in a daycare and leave and come back and get it. If they do this, that it's going to be considered abandoned. And, and, uh, and then it will go into a state process and they'll, they'll lose, their, they'll lose their, uh, their right to the baby. And they were, oh yeah, we understand that. We don't want the baby. We don't, we don't we, you know, we don't want it. And so we were forced to take that baby. I just had to think as I, I took that beautiful little baby and, uh, you know, they, they seem to, I mean, it was just a calloused handing over of our baby. Uh, I just had to think, you know, folks, do you realize, uh, you know, I asked them, well, why can't you keep the baby? And they said, well, we can't afford it. It's, it's too expensive. And I had to think, folks, you know, you have that big dog there that's going to cost you more than that baby, at least for the time being. And, and uh, But, you know, when you have someone that's that calloused, it's probably better to go ahead and take the baby. They, they, uh, they don't understand the value of that, that child. But Jesus here was saying, you know, it's not meat to take what's the children's bread. They're so much more valuable. And give it to the dogs and throw it to the dogs. It's, that's not the right thing to do. So that's Jesus' view of children. Uh, he who gives a child a cup of water in My name shall by no means lose His reward. The person that offends a child uh, and, and causes them, them to stumble, be better for a millstone, be, be put around His neck and He'd be cast in the sea. And forbid not the children to come to Jesus. He loves them. That's His attitude towards children and it's beautiful. Well, contrast this with Herod's attitude and with selfish men and ungodly man's attitude toward children. Children suffer in godless and sinless environments. They suffer a lot. They're suffering right now as as we're sitting here. As our children are sitting here uh, listening and looking forward to lunch, we have children that are suffering in other parts of the world from neglect, abuse, maybe what they call exposure, uh, being left. It's happening right now. And it's not... Jesus' way. It's not what Jesus wants. I remember as a 17 year old in Belize being impressed. I climbed one of those Maya ruins, very, very tall, pyramid shaped kind of ruin. And uh, we got to the top and we had a guide with us, and he was explaining to us the different things about these ruins. At the bottom, there were these gods that they worshiped, and of course, these are ruins now. They're, it didn't last. And at the top, then, there was this great big stone that was probably as large as this platform here. And he explained to to us in a very positive way how that uh, once a year, it was the Mayan culture that a young girl would be sacrificed sacrificed on this stone to appease the gods. I took it to be maybe 11 or 12-year-old girl to appease the gods, and so they'd have rain and so forth. And this, you know, he explained to us what a privilege this was for this young girl to be sacrificed like this for her and her family and so forth. And I had to think, you know, really, what a privilege. I mean, did her family think it was a privilege? Did she think it was a privilege? Uh, did her grandparents, her cousins, her friends, think that that was a great privilege for her to go up and be sacrificed? You know, if they did, it, it was obviously they were delusioned. Um, that's not Christ's way. It's, his way is so very different. The sacrificing of children is recorded in the Old Testament as well. In Second Kings 17, it talks about, it says they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire. Uh, therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from His sight. Herod, of course, considered children expendable. He eliminated them to get rid of A threat. A perceived threat. Christ's threat. And today, the killing, the mistreatment of children keeps on going. It goes by the name of abortion. It goes by the name of exposure. Leaving children to starve. It's happening... Exposure is not happening so much here in America, but it is happening in other countries. And it was—it's happened throughout the centuries. Um, Not all societies treat their children badly. Maybe one of our—maybe sometimes we veer to the other side, where we coddle our children too much and treat uh, them in a way that's unrealistic and doesn't prepare them for life. We'll touch on that more later. But Jesus' way is to bring the children to him. Let them touch him. Let them bless, let him bless them. Let the children come to me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. So what's if that's Jesus' heart, then what's our responsibility as parents? Jesus taught us who shall Whoso shall offend one of these little ones, which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck. Well, obviously, we have a responsibility not to offend one of these little ones, but it's more than that. Children need raising, and that that's the title, to raise a child. Children need raising. Uh, no doubt, none of us as parents have come to the conclusion that our children will just raise themselves um i've met some of these children that have raised themselves in the train stations in romania on the street in romania and you've probably met them here and i i can assure you and you you know if you've seen these that it's not a pleasant sight to see it's not a happy child it's not good company um they don't just raise themselves and turn out to be good children. Now there's times when influences come into their lives, I'm not saying that that can't happen. A child that doesn't have parents can't turn out good. It, it can. But that's not the way God meant it. He meant God meant for children to have that supportive influence of, of parents and of grandparents and of people around them to raise that child. We need encouragement as parents in this endeavor. It's the most important endeavor of raising children. It does us good to encourage one another. And you know, I don't speak on this subject this morning uh, with the idea that I've got the scoop on, on raising child. I, I don't feel like I do. It's a big job. And, but I, I feel it's, it's so important that we can't avoid the subject for fear of maybe stepping on each other's toes or so forth. It's so important. We need to address it. And we need to uh, encourage each other We need to, I think it needs frequent attention. Like I said, today, training children for Christ is probably under greater attack than ever, and I think it's going to become even stronger. There's this, if you read the news, if you read, if you get uh, publications, any kind of uh, secular publications, there's just a a, a very focused, uh, it seems like, attack against. Christian values. We need to keep clarity as parents. Be able to have a vision for where we need to go with our children. So we have these few verses. We don't. There's not a lot of child training verses in the Bible. If you if, if you thought about it, you don't read a lot of child training verses in the Bible. It seems like it's taken for granted. The Judeo culture was such that it nurtured nurtured the uh, raising of children. for for God, taught them good values, uh, and that came from early on, Old Testament teaching. But we do have these few verses in Ephesians. And I'm going to, there's these words, honor and obedience. It starts, first of all, obedience and honor. And I'm going to use these interchangeably here this morning because it's true, one is an action, the other is an attitude, but they really do, meshed together and just for sake of time I'll be using them interchangeably now one other note I would say as we read this passage that if we have the thought you know well our children will someday get old enough to read this passage and, and then they'll you know become convicted and then they'll obey and honor me as a mother or father we've done them a huge injustice um we have a responsibility as parents to start with our children much, much earlier than when they know how to read. Uh, they need to be being taught honor and obedience well before they can read this passage for themselves. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Parents, train your children to honor Honor doesn't just come naturally. I've seen honorable parents, and you've probably noticed this too, who weren't honored by their children as they should have been. And in converse, I've seen dishonorable parents who have received much more honor than seemed their due. It's something, so what I'm saying is that we shouldn't be, I'm not saying we should be dishonorable parents. We should be honorable parents in every way. But what I'm saying is just because we're honorable parents won't automatically make our children uh, be honorable or give honor as they should. It's something we need to train and to teach. Teach, teach honor. Having a relationship with your child is important. It goes without saying. It is very important. But... I will say this that children can be taught to be respectful without having a relationship with their parents. I know that seems to be a strong statement but I believe it to be true. You look at Romans 13. It Paul talks about there there about rendering to everyone their dues. Taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom, whom customs are due, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. It can be taught without a relationship. Now, I'm not advocating that. That there shouldn't be relationship, but a relationship is very important. Um, But it can be, it it needs to be taught regardless of the relationship. There are many people we have to honor as adults today because due to their position. I don't know the president, but I honor him because of his position. You know, I don't know the drunkard on the in the street or in the gutter, but I still owe him honor because he's made in the image of God. I still owe him a certain amount of honor. And I don't know any, everyone in between there. But I do know, besides my parents being made in the image of God, that I honor them, that I need to honor them because they're my parents, because they're my mom and dad, and that God called for that. So children need to be taught to honor their parents. Even your own children need to be taught to honor you. We owe that to our children to teach them that. And it's true, more is caught than taught, but that doesn't relieve us of the right to teach. Uh, We need to be a good example, but it doesn't relieve us of the right to teach. We need to teach. Relationship again is helpful. It's it's the biblical way of conveying values. Children can be taught to honor, like I said, without that, but it's not going to be as effective having a relationship with our children, leaning in into their lives. Example again. Children after they're reaching the age of accountability have the responsibility to honor. Before, prior to that, we have the responsibility as parents to teach them to honor, to respect. Um, ex- husband and wife, through, and through example, and, and after that through example as well. Uh, As an example, husband and wife can teach their children to honor their father and mother uh, by the way they relate to each other. By deed, by example. The wife submitting to her husband. The husband loving his wife as Christ loved the church. These are examples and and the most powerful way of really teaching our our children obedience and honor. A a mother that doesn't uh, give the child's father his reverence, his due respect is really uh, mitigating or really uh, chopping down the basis of, of uh, being able to teach that child to, to respect its father if she's not doing her part. And the vice versa, if the husband's not loving his wife the way he should. And then discipline. Parents have the responsibility to teach their children to honor through discipline, by using discipline. Never should a child believe that talking back or being disrespectful to a parent is acceptable behavior. Now, I I don't think that should ever happen. Don't let your children run over you. It's not their right. It's not good for them. And it's not biblical. It's not good for the family. So if dishonor is happening, what are we going to do about it? How How do we work with it? First of all, we as parents have to step up to the plate. We have to realize there is a problem. We have to understand it is a problem and we have to take a stand. And I know that this is easier said than done. I know it's uh, children are not all the same age and at some point maybe uh, it becomes very difficult or maybe impossible and I pray pray for you if you're in a situation like that, that God will give you grace. Uh, but we need to, parents have to, to take a stand. They have to step up to the plate. They have to let the child know that, that what they've done or said or the attitude is unacceptable and needs to stop. And realize you know, that sort of action for what it is. It's a form of rebellion. And, and God doesn't appreciate rebellion. In fact, even more strongly, he, can see, he 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 likens it to the sin of witchcraft in in Samuel. And, and I believe this is where parents if there if there's if there's dishonor happening. This is where parents really really are called to dig in and to help each other work as a team. I think of my own folks. My mom and dad, they weren't, par- they weren't perfect parents, And my own children don't have perfect parents. Their dad, in particular, has a lot of room for growth. Um, but going back to my dad and my folks, he always respected demand, I mean respected, demanded respect of us for our mother. And our mother demanded respect of us for our father. But su- suffice to say it like this, uh, if, if we said something unbecoming about our mother in front of our father, we wouldn't do it again. We wouldn't do it twice. Probably not in a lifetime. We found out very early on that that was not acceptable. And uh, dad reinforced it through, through firm, measured, and, and stern corporal punishment that, you know, it wasn't... Uh, we were, never felt abused, but we knew that that was unacceptable. It's not going, it wasn't going to happen. Um, dads, we need to be like that. We need to uh, step up to the plate and, and protect our weaker vessels. Let the child know there'll be consequences for bad behavior, and then follow through with love. Expect honor. Honor is not something that needs to be rewarded. It's something that should be expected. Honor carries its own merit, its own reward. It doesn't need an additional blessing. For example, Johnny doesn't need to be told, if you talk nice, if you're nice, we'll go to the park. Rather, Johnny should be know that certainly any chance of going to the park will be seriously reduced if he doesn't talk nice. And that talking nice is just expected of him. When we start rewarding our children for talking nice, for being nice, and so forth, we start teaching them it's a bargaining chip, and that's not what we want to be conveying to our children. That's a way of life. Honoring, respectfulness, that's a way of life. I have a friend who was explaining to me how he taught his children at a young age to, to understand what no means. He said at first, you know, he would tell them, they would ask, can we do this? And something that he didn't want them to do, and he'd say, no. And they'd come back, can we do it? Can we do it? You know, and he started struggling with this. How do, I, how do I help my children to see that no is no? And so he came up with this method. At one point, he pulled them together, and he said, look, children. He said, when I tell you no is no, that's, that's what I mean. And if you ask the second time, I will confirm that. But if you ask the third time, you know, for sure, whatever you're wanting to do will never not happen, and there'll be punishment. But he said, if you don't ask again, if you don't ask again to do what I told you not to do, and let's say it's not a you know something that's sinful, it's just something. Uh, can we go swimming? And he'd rather they wouldn't do it. He said, if I that that sort of thing. He said, if I if I, if I, uh, I, I he said then I'll reserve. If you don't ask again the third time, I'll reserve the right to change my mind. But he said, don't ask me again because that will that will you know, basically galvanize my, the no answer. And he said it worked. And you know, um, he told me that about three years ago. And I found out it's a good technique. It does work. It's, it's so, something you can jot down in your little notebook. It works pretty well. Um, so expect honor. That's an attitude that we as parents should have. Expecting honor. Be visionary. Set your sights high for your child. If you don't expect outbursts and tantrums when your child is 10 or 15, start teaching them that such is unacceptable at a very, very early age. You know, I cringe when I see a child being teased to the point it's becoming upset uh, and making big statements to his parents or its grandparents or its siblings or, or others. It makes me cringe when I see that. Because I see something there, a precedent being set that's going to have to be unwound sometime. It's, it's not right. I, I urge you, if you don't expect to see a certain kind of talk, a certain kind of outburst, or a certain kind of pattern when a child is older, don't allow it when he's younger. Um, because um, that, that's just the way it works. If we allow it, it becomes a pattern, becomes a habit, and then it becomes much harder to unwind later on. The other thing I would say is this: why would we as Christian parents, find unchrist-like statements funny or cute from a, from a child? We should be trying to image to, to make that child into the image of Christ as, as quickly as possible. That should be our goal as parents, bringing our children to Christ. So how do we handle a dishonorable manifestation from a child? From our child, you know we've heard these statements. I've heard them. You know, do what we say, or I mean, uh, you know, or maybe something very strong like "shut your mouth, you little brat," or uh, if you don't be quiet, I'll tan your backside till it's all bloody. Uh, you know, is that the kind of kind of responses we give to our children? I heard one lady who was trying to get struggling at her child to behave say. If you do that again, I'll chop off your head. And uh, you know we've probably we've heard worse than this, uh, probably responses. And you know I know there's been times that I've wondered, well, am I going to witness a horrible event or or maybe uh, even a brutal killing? And and you know about that time the child spews off again and does its own thing, and the parents sighs and you know talks about how ill-fated they are about having to raise a child. Is that the way we, we handle you know, dishonor? No, it's not the way God intended. And we don't, have to, uh, we don't have to live with that. That's not what God intended for family, for His children to live with. Train. We have the responsibilities of parents to train. Train up the child in the way he should go. As Proverbs says, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. With responsibility that God gives us comes authority. We have authority as parents and we shouldn't be afraid to use it. It's ours. And God intends for us to use it. Not the authority to abuse, but the authority to direct and prepare our children for life. You know, I I, I firmly believe that no parent is so miserable as the one who feels the responsibility to bring their child up right and so forth, but fails to understand or to act on the authority that God has given him or her. No parent is is so miserable as that person who feels the responsibility but doesn't understand the authority. I know children, especially when they get older, they have their own decisions to make. We can't always make those for them. And the authority... We need to be pointing our children to Christ, not ourselves. And and you know, so they have choices to make. And so I'm not necessarily speaking out to that. Uh, but as young children, we have responsibility and we have authority. I was talking, part of what brought this message to my mind, was talking to a young man on the job the other day. He had told me some time ago that him and his wife were expecting a baby. He was all excited about it. And uh, so, anyways, I was talking to him here again recently, and the baby was like three months old. And now, you know, then I was asking him how old the baby is the other day, and he said, She's nine months old. And I said, Well, so she's up and she's starting to crawl, and she's doing all the fun stuff. And he was like, Yeah, yeah. And uh, he said, Now she's getting to the point where. She's starting to get in the cupboards and so forth, and I don't know what we're going to do. He said, I guess we're going to have to childproof everything. And I said, I won't use his name. I just said, A young man, I said, you, you need to start disciplining her. What's that? He looked scared. I said, you know, instead of childproofing everything, you need to start simply teaching her that she, you know, where she can't go. I said, she's old enough to learn that. how how do you do that? I said, well, just teach her there's a little pain associated with getting where she's not supposed to be and she'll learn after some time. I said, like, you know, snapping her fingers a bit or so forth. Whatever it takes just to give her enough pain to realize that she doesn't. He was like, you know, he said, my wife has talked about doing that. She's done a little bit of that. He said, I couldn't do it. I just love her too much. I've never laid my, I've never slapped my daughter. I've never done anything like that. I don't know that I could do it. I, I love her so much. And I was like, I said, young man, I said, you know what? I said, it takes more love to discipline your child than it does to child everything. And uh, I said, you know, when you go that mile, you when you go to that effort to to discipline, to step into your child's life, to start teaching her uh, what she can't and can do and and that you're her father and so forth, I said, it, take, it, you know, it takes more love. And it seemed like that whole principle was just, was just about more than he could grasp. And, and it made me, made me wonder, you know, made me, I guess, understand why I see what I do in the public sphere. And, and I pray to God that we can keep biblical principles in our training, in our child training. Love your child enough to exercise discipline. By now you've figured out I'm not a fan of child-proofing technique. It's much better to teach the child what it can or can't touch than to be going around placing barricades. Barricades serve their purpose. Uh, They're important for safety at times. However, barricades are always local and they provide only a limited protection. Training a child not only Protects it empowers that child. It gives the child the necessary info and discipline to avoid potential pitfalls, to overcome obstacles and to succeed eventually in his or her ambition or to succeed in what God has intended for his or her life. Why? Because it takes the focus off of the barricades. It rather directs them to, gives them direction. You know, I believe that parents who see themselves as fence keepers and child proofers will tend to raise children who are focused on fences and ways to get through the barriers rather than raising children that are focused on serving Christ and understanding what is His will for my life. It helps when parents discipline and teach their children that their word is... Final, it helps that child in relating with its Heavenly Father. You know, it's done a bit of, it's given that child a a leg up on on understanding what God is like and realizing that obedience brings rewards and it brings trust and it it helps to be able to, it helps that child to be able to to move ahead instead of trying to figure out, you know, why is the fence there and how can I get through it? I believe a child with a fence mentality has a hard time focusing on the, the important issues, such as principle, God's direction in my life, and so forth. Discipline fosters security. Security or stability fosters a sense of being, of being, note the emphasis on the word being, which in turn creates an atmosphere of creativity, an atmosphere where creativity can thrive. And, and when you bring that together with godly influences, it can be godly creativity, and it, it fosters a place of, uh, of great potential. It starts with discipline, though. The willingness, us as parents, being willing to discipline and love. Leaning in. Leaning into our children's lives. That goes back to relationship. You know, if there's dishonor, disrespect going on, and I think that I'm not speaking to a crowd here this morning that's like, well, what are you talking about? Uh, No matter how well trained our children are, we'll find times that maybe there's a bend going on. Maybe there's something going on that shouldn't. Maybe there's an attitude developing that shouldn't. And then, then's the time to lean in. I remember my father leaning into my life in ways that was very helpful for me. You know, he saw something going on that shouldn't. Or he had realized there was an attitude going on that shouldn't be. And maybe we went to town, and and on the way to town there was a long talk, and there was a little more time spent. And you know, he was a busy man, but he understood that the importance of that. There is no silver bullet. There's no Special technique that's going to solve, you know, all the issues God's put in each one of us. Given each one of us um, our own abilities, He's given us His Word. I think it more goes back to to this thing of, of a parent's attitude towards honor uh, that really matters. If a parent really, if a parent really demands that and uh, honor respect. They're going to they're going to uh, make it a priority. Now, if I, as a parent, see rebellion in my child as harmful, as sinful, and ungodly, certainly by the grace of God, I'm going to lean into my child's life to correct that inclination. And here again, I, I don't feel like I have the scoop on this. I don't feel like you know I'm the only I have this cornered. I'm I study it. I look at it. It's important to me, though, it's because our children are the most important assets that we have. And, and God has given to us, and He's given us the responsibility of bringing them back to Him. The blessing that goes with this, Ephesians 6:3, this is actually an Old Testament blessing that comes, in back, comes forward into the new. Ephesians 6:3, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. You know, whether that means that we'll have a lifespan of 100 years or 50 years, I don't really think that matters. But living long on the earth, you know, we can, by our life, by the way we live, we can create a long-lasting influence for good. We can create a long-lasting inclination for good. And, And that's what God would have of us. And if we do that, it that in itself is probably the most successful thing uh, we could do. May God bless you as whether you're a parent or a child or a grandparent or any uncle, aunt, friend, cousin. Um, may God bless you as you um, serve Him in whichever side you are in this.